When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 5th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, feud over who controls uh, the local drug market between two gangs based in Drogheda has resulted in some of the most serious acts of criminality in Drogheda, in Dundalk, RD, Terman Fekin and in Clorer Head where Keith Brannigan was murdered when gunman fired a volley of shots in broad daylight at a holiday park last August. Last night the violence moved to Bettystown where a 39 year old man became the second person to be killed in this ongoing feud. Gardaí say the man received a number of gunshot wounds at a house in Castle Martin Drive. The shooting happened at 20 to 12 and the man was pronounced dead just before 1 o'clock this morning in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. The Minister for European Affairs is a local Fine Gael TD for the area. Helen McEntee is with us. Good morning Minister morning, and thank Michael. you for coming in to us. I'm sure like everybody else uh, you're taken aback by the news this morning. Absolutely. And I think as you've just outlined, the problem is this isn't the first incident to happen. I mean, as you say, it happened late last night, so we're only getting a certain amount of information. But I think what's clear is that this is most likely linked to the feud that's been ongoing in Drogheda that is linked to the various different gangs and connected to the uh, the drugs trade in the area. Um there's a huge amount of work has been done but the fact that there are still incidents like this happening I mm. think will raise concerns for people you have the fact as well that this was uh, happened in Bettystown it, it's over two districts so you have the Louth uh, and the Meath teams that are working together um, and you know when something like this happens people ask do we have enough resources on the ground what has been done to try and tackle it and I think particularly since the summer um, and, and I was only speaking to my colleague Fergus O'Dowd about this recently who's, who's done a huge amount of work um, we've looked at trying to make sure that we have the right kind of people on the mm. ground that we have the right number of resources on the ground but we're actually getting to the root cause of what is causing this um, we do not People want don't believe that of course Minister because uh, this isn't going on since the summer it's going on at least two and a half years when a 23 year old man was shot six times uh, on uh, the cement road at a halting site there and that was uh, the beginning of the feud but many people would argue that it began long before that and that there was trouble on the horizon but there was no intervention in the drugs trade. Gardaí were not given the tools or the resources to tackle the problem. As a result the gangs got bigger and bolder and more brazen to the extent now where they're willing to take the lives of other people. Well, I think what we've seen is that this has escalated, certainly. Um, and I'm not saying that it's only started six months ago, but I think we've certainly seen a lot more activity in the last number of months. Uh, and I think that's why, and, and not just because of that, but because of, uh, I, I suppose, the fact that 
Uh, as you say, this has started to, to escalate for some time now. We have a, a commitment to make the new regional headquarters for Cavan, Louth and Monaghan will be in Drogheda. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened yet, so additional resources have been deployed. I think there was 25 at least since the summer alone. Um, the district and the region that this actually happened mm. in, in Bettison, that would be covered by Laytown, which, while it's technically Louth, it, mm. it's me, the East, it, it's my county. Um, we have two sergeants there and 80 or 16 Gardaí, I think. Now, again, is that enough? That's the mm. question that we have to ask. I've, I've written uh, to the commissioner this morning myself based on what happened last night we have him attending the joint policing committee for Meath now in the next few weeks and I know that there will be a lot of concern raised about the fact that this is still ongoing but I, I, I do have to stress there have been a huge amount of additional resources put in place we've seen assets seized uh, by the Gardaí we've seen uh, Operation Stratus put in place which is bringing together the, the armed sports units uh, intelligence units the emergency services mm. to try and look at tackling these but in particular as well you need to start uh, going further down the chain. So I, I think alone last week there were about 14 people before the courts on drugs charges. Mm. So there's a huge amount of pressure being put on well, these Well, that guys. in itself was incredible. That was 14 street dealers in Drogheda who were lifted by the guards in one day. Uh, 14 people on street corners selling heroin and cocaine. Very, very strong drugs. Uh, it's unheard of. It, it, it's worrying. And worrying isn't even the word. I mean, people are afraid. People mm. don't... Uh, know exactly what's going to happen next and that's why we need to make sure that these resources are maintained so I do think that the Gardaí, everything that they've asked for in the last few months, they have been given those resources and particularly now that this has obviously reached the level that it has again only last Mm. night, those resources will have to remain in place and if extra resources are required uh, then that will have to be put in place too so uh, I've spoken to Charlie Flanagan only by text this morning, I know he's in the the Minister's meeting before Cabinet um, but he is gravely concerned I think by what's going on and I think it's evident mm. by the fact that he has engaged uh, so much with not just uh, our own Gardaí here with the Commissioner but also with the PSNI because you know we've yeah. seen that this is spilling over not just in the Louth Meath area mm. but there are incidents now happening in Cavan Monaghan uh, and, and, and they are causing real concern as well mm. so there's a massive effort to try and stem this to put additional resources in place um, but we have to always ask the question do we need more and of course we need to sp- speak with our local sergeants well, and to, to, to ask that question Something's not right, isn't it, Minister? I mean, uh, this is not at all unexpected. This was what everybody was waiting for since last August, since Keith Brannigan was murdered, uh, left uh, in a pool of blood after being riddled with bullets in broad daylight in front of young children. Well, what we know is that the Gardaí are putting a huge amount of resources in place to try and protect those mm. who are particularly at risk. But do you accept the risk, point that this was expected? Risk. A- well, and, and you know what's going to happen next? Well, what I hope doesn't happen is that we have retaliation. Now, I know you might say, well, that's a given. But again, the Gardaí are putting huge pressure on these gangs, on these various different mm. individuals. There is a huge amount of surveillance and, happening and the, and around the, the clock. For and the result is families. a corpse in the hospital this morning. And, and it's beyond regrettable. I mean, even if this person is involved in it, nobody should die in this way. Mm. Nobody should be involved in this kind of a situation. So it's not just, mm. you know, you have to maybe then take a step back as well. What kind of resources have we in place for people who are taking drugs, who are in these kind of scenarios? What kind of a community setting are they in? You know, what kind of supports have they had themselves? And, and I suppose it's about making sure that those structures are available in communities, not just the policing mm. uh, structures, but also uh, the financial support and, and the, the one-to-one supports um, that many of these communities need. All, all of the support and all of the resources and all of the attention that's given to this, uh, a deal is a text away uh, and a gun uh, very easily to obtain it would seem. 
Well, again, this is why we need more Gardaí available. More if, than we have now? Well, if that's what's needed. I, my, is that what's needed? My understanding is any of the resources that were do asked you believe that, over the past But do you believe months. that what happened last night makes the argument for more Gardaí? Abs- are you saying that we're not doing enough? No, I'm, I'm saying the Gardaí are doing as much as they can. But I think if an incident like this happens, you have to ask the question, do we need more Gardaí? And that's why I've written to the Commissioner this morning. That's why when he comes to their Joint Policing Committee in Meath, and, and you know, I think mm. it's important to say that sometimes there's, there's a, a question around if something happens in Meath, can the Loud Division uh, come and help out? And that, that is absolutely the case. There mm. are uh, measures put in place to make sure that the, if there is a serious incident that people can respond and, and report to each other. But... Well, I, I have put this gang doesn't recognise, let alone respect borders. Uh, so the police uh, have to act on uh, the basis uh, that this gang operates, I suppose, or these gangs rather. More well, to the th- point, th- these people are operating mm. uh, illegal activities. I mean, you know, but we have to make sure that nobody is killed, um, irrespective mm-hmm. of what they're involved in, what their background is. We need to make sure that these people are brought to justice, and that's why the huge level and the increase mm. of Gardaí and supports. That's why we're looking at the new headquarters uh, in Drogheda. That's why we have an Operation Stratus that's specifically targeting these individuals to try and either bring them to justice before something like this happens or, or to try and make sure somebody innocent doesn't get caught in the crossfire because we've seen how that has happened as well. And I think that's what worries people when you have an incident like mm. this happening or, as you say, a number of years ago in broad daylight in front of children uh, outside schools and areas where people are walking their dogs, going to school about their daily business we cannot allow this to continue happening. So again, as I've said, over the summer there was additional resources asked for. Everything that was asked for was given to this region, this area. Uh, the superintendents, uh, you know, they meet on a regular basis, the Joint Policing Committee. Uh, I know my colleagues, as I said, Fergus O'Dowd, Sharon Tolan, mm. who's, who's in the Bettystown area, uh, are hugely involved. But from a Meath point of view, we are in the same position in that we need more resources. Um, what kind of resources do we need uh, and okay. how quickly can we get them? Okay, Minister, uh, thanks uh, for uh, talking to us about that. Obviously a very important issue now in your constituency after spilling over from Louth into Meath East and we'll be hearing from Gardaí later in the programme. We'll also be hearing from people in Bettystown and hear what their reaction to last night's killing is. We'll have uh, some security analysis and indeed we'll uh, speak with a local councillor and uh, neighbour of uh, the deceased a little bit later on in the programme. But you were scheduled to come into us anyway to talk about other matters uh, relating uh, to Brexit. And uh, on uh, Brexit, uh, I would forgive people if uh, they've forgotten that it's a pressing issue because it's gone off the radar. But uh, last time I spoke to you, I, I think uh, you were probably a little bit irritated at the suggestion I was making that Ireland, along with 26 other European countries, launched Boris Johnson's election campaign as it transpires. That appears to have been the case. Well, I I think I'll reiterate what I said to you the last time. We can only work with the Prime Minister that we have and uh, as it currently stands, obviously notwithstanding that there's an election underway, Boris Mm. Johnson was the then Prime Minister. Uh, He may be Prime Minister again. We don't know that, obviously, and won't know till after the 12th of December. But our sole focus and our sole priority Mm. was to address the priorities that oh, we had laid out. But, but, but I mean it was obvious where it was going and uh, whether he wins the election or not he got a, a good boost uh, from uh, the 27 countries he's looking to divorce. Well you have to look at the fact that we had a deal with Theresa May she passed that through her cabinet 
couldn't get it through the House of Commons. Boris Johnson has just negotiated a deal. He unfortunately wasn't able to pass it through the House of Commons either. Now, I know you will say it's a different scenario because what he was able to do uh, was implement. So the, 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 the deal itself is not enough to be implemented in the UK. They have to pass national legislation. He was able to pass the second stage of that legislation, which is relevant because I suppose it shows he had the numbers at the time uh, who, if he had been given additional time or if had decided to use that additional time to, to pass it fully, may have gotten this deal through. Uh, that's not the route mm. they took. Labour obviously supported the UK to have an election. Uh, and now we find ourselves, I think, in a much better position in that when I spoke to you last, the idea of a no deal was still very much on the table. Mm. Um, and until the 17th of October, lunchtime before the European leaders met, there was still not a deal agreed. Uh, we now have a deal that Boris Johnson uh, has said he will campaign on. Uh, we have a, a Labour, SNP, Lib Dem parties, uh, all of whom have said that they would like a closer relationship mm. with the EU uh, and would not be advocating for a no deal. So we only have one party in the UK advocating for a no deal. So I think it takes the possibility of a no deal um, I won't say firmly off the table but I think it reduces it significantly in saying that um, and only last night I was in Roscommon I was meeting with business uh, who have been like many uh, feel like they've, they've marched up to the top of the hill twice at this mm-hmm. stage and now they're unsure what's happening um, if there is uh, I suppose a clear majority in the UK be it either for Boris Johnson mm-hmm. or indeed for, for any other political party uh, what we would hope to see is either a deal agreed in the new year and if that is the case we will have a transition period uh, and it will give people time to to see and understand what kind of a relationship uh, that we would have with the UK but I think what's different and and what I suppose is unfortunate in one sense is that Boris Johnson's approach to what a future relationship might look like is not the kind of close relationship or not as close as Mm. we would like it to be he's talking about divergence in regulation he's talking about doing trade deals elsewhere he's talking Mm. about Mm. uh, you know not the same relationship as, as Theresa May was so you know we've had to look at our key priorities and that's protecting the peace process, the border, the all-island economy. It's the only the way. Would you, would you think the only way of protecting the peace process, Minister, is uh, that the UK does not leave uh, the European Union? It seems, if that's not the case, uh, the other options on the table leave them in a situation or leave us in a situation where we're damned if they do and damned if uh, they don't. If Boris Johnson uh, was to win the day and his uh, deal was uh, to be adopted, uh, it would be seen as throwing the DUP under the bus, selling Northern Ireland out and, as some have said, bombs in Limerick. Uh, If uh, it was a a no-deal scenario, uh, well, then uh, would be the return to a hard border and, as we've heard uh, from the Irish government and others, uh, customs posts and so on would become targets and you'd see a return to the Troubles. Well, I think for things to remain as they are is obviously the, the, the best position that we could find ourselves in. But even at that, without Brexit even happening over the past three and a half years, we've seen huge um, uncertainty, but we've seen a fraction emerge mm. in the north that nobody wanted or, or, or ever thought we might see again. Um, and that underlying minority of people who would like to see troubles happen again, they are there. And, mm. and I think the PSNI and, and our own Gardaí have made that clear. But I think... We cannot allow that to prevent us from trying to negotiate a deal or even allow that to to become something that that is a possibility. Um, 
one of the biggest challenges we have and you know I, I think a lot of people would feel that unless Brexit is resolved it's never going to be resolved itself mm. and that is the assembly in the north we're, we're three years now without a functioning government in the north uh, and I think there's always been a feeling and, and a sense that until Brexit is resolved and we know what's happening it's going to be very difficult to get all political parties to come to the table now you mm. might pose the question if uh, we have a deal and if a political party is not happy with that deal uh, will, will we still be mm-hmm. able to bring those parties together? I hope that we will um, because the Thornish in particular um, with all parties in the North has put a huge amount of time and I, and I know that most people uh, mm-hmm. want to see that executive up and running because it hasn't allowed progress to be made. We've seen projects stalled we've seen uh, an uncertainty which has created a void which has allowed a lot of this trouble to happen so I mean our priority irrespective of what the outcome of Brexit is has to be to get an executive up and running because it's central to the Good Friday Agreement. It's central to mm. all of this peace. That we've and you're echoing uh, what uh, the Independent Reporting Commission is uh, saying in its report uh, today. They say that there's been a huge decrease in paramilitarism over the course of uh, the last decade, but a huge increase, on the other hand, in the course of the last 12 months. There's been three killings as a result of paramilitaries in uh, the last year compared to one the year previous to that. And they're saying that Brexit will only compound the situation and talk of a hard border and that type of language uh, helps to justify the cause for some people and that if there is to be a solution then you need the institutions restored because you need political leadership, you need people who have a a mandate mandate to give people direction. Absolutely and I mean make no mistake and and, and with respect to people in the UK who have voted and I've always said this we have to respect their decision Brexit is not a good policy uh, when it comes to Northern Ireland the peace process when it comes to to trade to our economy Mm. to our relationship with the UK with the whole of the EU but when it comes to to the peace process it's not a good policy and this is why we find ourselves in the situation where we are trying to come up with uh, a a mechanism through which we can uh, ensure that Northern Ireland uh, remains part of the territorial integrity of the rest of the UK that that does not change and cannot change unless voted for by Mm. people in Northern Ireland uh, and in the South but you know it's very difficult and what we've had to come up with and what the most recent deal um, focuses on is a bespoke solution for Northern Ireland and and you have to look at the fact that the Good Friday Agreement is bespoke, it is specific to the fact that people in Northern Ireland identify as British or Irish or both uh, that people want to be part of uh, Mm. either the UK or Ireland and that's why we've had to come up with a deal that I believe does actually address those concerns. I think in particular the issue of consent and this is one of the the, the newer elements of this current deal. It allows people in the north to choose whether or not they remain part of this deal that has been negotiated if it's obviously approved by the House of Commons and that includes all political Mm. parties, uh, the larger, smaller and and, and those seen as more moderate uh, in the middle grounds. Do you care to call it uh, Brexiteers are hoping for a Brexmiss? Do you think uh, that they may leave uh, before the end of uh, the year uh, in line with uh, Christmas and uh, the election on the 12th of uh, December or do you think uh, that they'll be still here on the 31st of January and possibly looking for another extension. Well, you know, I, I think if you had asked me two weeks ago where would we be today, mm. I wouldn't have been able to tell you because we could have been mm. dealing with a no-deal Brexit, we could have been dealing with the deal ratified mm-hmm. and, and we find ourselves now with um, a deal on the table not ratified, a, a no-deal budget having been passed but a no deal most likely being taken off the table and an election happening in the UK. Now I, I think that the, the your, your analogy will have to be put in the new Brexit dictionary that we have um, in the office but 
if it were to be passed even and if there were to be a majority in the UK um, I think the time that would take not just for the UK Parliament to pass it but also for the Parliament in the EU it would most likely spill into the new year again that's provided that you would see a majority that the deal would be passed um, but the House of Parliament or the, 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 the Parliament in the EU still has to ratify this uh, and I think until they see that all of the, the position and the steps have been taken in the UK uh, they wouldn't be willing to do that before then so this will I would say undoubtedly go mm-hmm. into the new year um, but what shape that takes and, and whether it's early January or whether we're talking later on. You'd be inclined to hedge your bets. I'm afraid I (laughs) I can't blame you. Thank you, Minister, for coming into us this morning. Uh, That's the Minister for European Affairs and Fine Gael TD in me, these Telemachantee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, there needs to be uh, transport police, police given uh, the level of antisocial behaviour on uh, public transport. Uh, this is an argument uh, that the National Bus and Rail Workers Union has been making for some time. It says uh, the behaviour of some people in Cork, Dublin, Limerick and in Mead over Halloween makes the case for a dedicated Garda Public Transport Division all the more so. Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the NBRU, is on the line with us. And a very good morning. Some very serious incidents in the last week or so, Dermot, in particular in Cork, which you may tell us about in a moment. But perhaps you begin by telling us about what happened locally in Ashburn on Halloween. Well, unfortunately, I mean, as we reported over the weekend in relation to Ashburn, there was a rocket or a banger firework type device throwing in, thrown at a a bus here and bus and the door was just about to close uh, now the door closed uh, and the device went off and it was what we call a door well uh, and it was scorched all the inside of the door and the, 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 the handle that passes was used to mount the steps uh, fortunately nobody was injured but it could have had very very serious consequences uh, and again look I suppose we did forewarn Michael and the run up to Halloween uh, we had a conference in Cork in August and our delegates passed a motion uh, highlighting, highlighting the fact that the antisocial behaviour and what I call the thuggery that goes on across public transport has risen to alarming levels now. It's, it's, it's actually reached epidemic proportions, uh, proportions really. And, and in terms of the issue you mentioned, in terms of Cork, and I would be slightly circumspect, although the media uh, have been widely reporting the incident where a, a, a lady driver in Cork uh, uh, doing her job, asking people to pay their fares, uh, was verbally assaulted and, and, and was threatened with all sorts of. Uh, I suppose uh, illegal uh, 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 look it's, it's been reported you can yeah. say that I, I certainly have to be careful because the Guardian are investigating this incident as I understand it Right okay but I mean the papers are suggesting uh, that these teenagers got on the bus wouldn't pay she went for help came back got into her cab and waited for a supervisor in, in that time period they threatened to rape her and made gun gestures to her head it must have been a very frightening situation for her a terrifying situation for, for, for a young girl who came into this country a number of years ago and has two young children and, and comes into work on Halloween night when other people are partying with their families to provide a bus service. Uh, and it's what's the sad part about that particular service, Michael and Cork. Uh, the NBIU were very proactive in, in launching that service back in December last year. It's the first 24-hour service in the country and it's a fantastic service for the people that live in around the Carrick Line, Baron College areas of anyone that knows Cork City. Uh, and again, look, I suppose this is only systematic of what I've been on the show with you before, Michael, and lots of other media platforms discussing this issue. And I think the time is well, long since passed, where a dedicated guard of public transport division needs to be constituted and established. Uh, and we've been waiting to Ministers Ross and Flanagan in justice uh, for quite a while now. Uh, and it's about time that, that the exchequer provided the resources to establish such a unit. 
And it would be part of Angarda Siakana. These would be police officers rather than uh, some uh, individual security firm. No, I, well, I, 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 I spoke recently to the AGSI representative, uh, Antoinette Cunningham, Deputy General Secretary, and she was very supportive and on behalf of her organisation in relation to the establishment of a, of a guard of public transport division. Two caveats, it should be a unit belong to the guard themselves, and we would, we would support that, of course. But it also needs to be resourced uh, from the exchequer, both financial and indeed human resource. The Gardaí themselves today are finding it very difficult to operate uh, within current resources for the current police they have to mm-hmm. do uh, and conduct. So I suppose, look, we, we would be very strong in advocating the fact that they, it does need to be resourced. Look, there's an issue here, Michael, and it's a societal issue, I accept. Uh, but I represent transport workers mm-hmm. and it's become very, very... Uh, I suppose difficult to operate in an environment where people come on buses and trains indeed I think they can act with impunity and without sanction it, the, the, the fact that a guard of a public transport division would exist if it was established might uh, um, say to these people there's going to be a consequence to your action here there could be a sanction uh, at the moment none of that is, none of that applies Is it getting worse do you think Dermot? Sorry Mike can you repeat that? I say is the problem getting worse? Well, I most certainly is, and again, looking at figures reported on the journal journal.ie last week, my written alone, you had different levels of increases across the different types of behaviour. But certainly from this time last year, uh, how to find it this year, there's been a 40% increase in reported incidents. And this is not alone on staff now, there's the obviously mm. commuters are facing the same difficulty. And look, the safety of the commuters and indeed the staff is now paramount for our members. Uh, and they're taking decisions or will be taking decisions based on that safety. The sad part, of course, Michael, about it is that 99.99% of people in this country travel uh, on public transport uh, for leisure and, and, and the work activities, college and school and hospital appointments, uh, trouble-free. It's a very, very small element. And I suppose, look, Halloween, uh, again, and we, 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 we issued a press release over the, over the last few days describing some of the incidents that happened uh, and discussed that mm-hmm. moment uh, across the country and I think look we, 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 we as a society need to have conversations very open and uh, transparent conversations about the type of behaviour I mean Halloween for me uh, and I live in West Dublin these days uh, which was, was in some cases was like a war zone uh, in, some, uh, in some areas of, of West Dublin I, I think people just you know shut their doors at 7 o'clock on Halloween and pray to God that they wake up in the morning their property and, and, and their families are intact and that's no way to be uh, living. I mean, you go back 15 years ago and some of the behaviour that's been witnessed now would not be tolerated. Uh, unfortunately, we think we, with society and, and in terms of lawlessness uh, across the transport where I represent, uh, has become more and more pre- uh, prevalent. OK, Dermot, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, for joining us as always. Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the NBRU, the National Bus and Rail Workers' Union. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Drogheda's uh, drugs gangs were at war again last night. A 39-year-old man was murdered in Bettystown, shot several times in the back. The known associate of one gang leader or gang boss died around one o'clock this morning. People waking to the news in Bettystown gave their reaction to Marie Kearns. I think it's horrific that it's on our doorstep. And that the I know the guards are taking it seriously, but the fact that it's allowed to come to a small village like Bettystown is shocking. And you know we all walk around here with our kids and everything, and it's, it's, we like to think it's safe, but it's not. I'd like to trust the guards are doing their job. Um, I know they had a lot of checkpoints up around that area over the last few months, so there was obviously something or someone living there. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, well, I hope that we like to see the guards and plenty of them around, you know, to make sure this doesn't happen again. Shocking. 
shocked really, yeah. And worried. What are you worried about? Um, reoccurrence and you know, what what usually happens is there's another one, you know, there's and kids slaying out and crossfire and all that sort of thing. You know what I mean? The whole thing's freaking me out, yeah. I'm in shot, like I am afraid now that um the kids or we are not be able to, to walk around the area because these guns that maybe are just, you know, putting families in danger. Shocked, shocked. Down here nothing like that happens, like that's absolutely nuts. Nuts down here, like for for that to happen. Um I wonder now why. That's that's the that's the big worry, isn't it? <laughs> like why? So yeah, it is crazy. Absolutely crazy. We moved down here for a quiet life, you know, and now all you have just Dublin coming up and ruining. So you're from Dublin originally. From Dublin, yes I am, yeah, from Ballyfermot and you think that you get away from it. But no. And how long are you in Betty's <laughs> town? Two years now, two years we moved down here for the kids, thinking that like nothing like that would happen, but it's shocking. Shocking news. Just shocked. Um I mean I'm only hearing literally hearing you literally heard the news two minutes ago and um I mean, I'm out here 13 years, moved from Dublin, and and um, just completely and utterly shocked. And you know, God love the family and, and anyone involved, like you know, and just pray for soul. And no, no one should life should be taken like that. And just very, very unfortunate. You know, may he rest in peace, whatever he is. It's only when you hear it's like you know, it's it, other parts of the country, things going on, and when it's in right next door to you, basically, you're just going. You know, it's just coming to our door now with kids, kids around the area. Did that any kids around the area? That's that's seen what happens. You know, shocking really is. Really shocking indeed. Uh, the crime editor with uh, the Irish Sun, Stephen Breen, is on uh, the line with us uh, together with uh, Fine Gael councillor Sharon Tolan, who lives in Bettystown. Good morning to both of you. Sharon, uh, you live uh, actually just uh, across the way from Castle Martin Drive, I understand. Uh, yeah, I, I live in, in the estate around the, around the corner here in Bettystown Wood. Um, look, it's, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really sad listening to, to um, those comments made to Marie this morning, it's, it's just, it's shocking to think that people are, and my own kids went to school this morning, afraid, um, were they safe? They had questions, uh, for me that I couldn't answer. Um, I have questions. I, I was on the phone this morning to, um, Minister, uh, Charlie Flanagan immediately. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult one. I, uh, the individual, the name hasn't been confirmed to me as yet, uh, but the name that has been said to me, I, I, I passed him out walking with his wife on the beach on Sunday. Uh, bid him good morning, great day. Um, I would know them. I would know his children. They go to school here locally. My thoughts and prayers are with them. Um, you know, I heard you describe there to, to uh, Minister Helen McEntee that there's, there's a, a court um, this morning in, in, in Our Lady of Lourdes. It's, it's it's a husband, it's a father, um, and I want to know how, how, if the Gardaí knew this man's life was in danger, which apparently they did, they should have, um, how did an individual drive into a family estate like Castle Martin with firearm and shoot him dead? Um, I, I, I have so many questions. I'm so upset and I'm so angry. Um, and, you know, if, if this feud, as they say, is spilling out, we knew last March, you know, there were shots fired in that estate last March. There was a car burnt out on the East Ham Road. There was an individual badly beaten uh, in a case of mistaken identity in late time, a month after that. Um, you know, I, I've been calling, calling for the resources. I've been assured the resources are put in place. Um, how 
How did an individual with a firearm drive into one of our Dan- family estates mm. here in Town and shoot a man dead? Uh, let's uh, talk to Stephen Brainer. I'm not sure if you can answer that question, Stephen, but uh, it's a very legitimate question and one that a, a lot of people will be asking, I'm sure. It is indeed, and I think we have to look in the, the context here over the, the last year. Uh, we, we have seen an escalation in violence uh, across Trotter in relation to this uh, feud regarding two very well-organised and two capable criminal gangs who have access to firearms, explosives, and we have seen you know, uh, that's two murders we have now where the, 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 these individuals are willing to go out and, and target uh, people and go into estates where there are kids. We've seen shots fired, people attacked outside of gyms, shots fired outside homes, people walking on the street. So it, it really is quite difficult. The Guardi have had about 600 checkpoints in the last year, 418 patrols. They have swamped the area with the armed support unit. But despite this and despite their constant call for resources, and despite the fact that they maintain that they are out there on the streets trying to prevent people and from committing these offences, it, it's still happening. So mm. I know they can't be everywhere uh, every hour of the day. Uh, but, and do you know anything about this individual, uh, the victim, the deceased, uh, in uh, this latest gangland killing? Uh, he is said to be uh, an associate of one of uh, the gang leaders and linked to one of uh, the gangs in Drogheda, uh, and uh, that that was the reason he was targeted. Yeah, so this man is well known uh, to, to Gardy. Um, this man had associates also in, in, in Dublin as well. Uh, it was regarded as a key player in relation to the ongoing feud between the, the rival factions um, in Drogheda. So uh, he's someone who uh, we understand had been warned before about uh, a possible threat to his life. So uh, did he take this seriously? You know, what precautions did he take? We, we just don't know. And, and as Sharon says, there are questions that, that need answered uh, around this, but he was someone who would be regarded as a significant player in relation to this ongoing feud. And Sharon, if I'd asked you yesterday morning, was it a dangerous area to be in? Uh, how would you have responded then? Well, listen, the biggest danger yesterday was flooding. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you. So this would have come as a surprise to people locally, would it? I, yeah, I, to I some degree. Shocked. Absolutely, absolutely. To some, to some degree. Uh, as I said, um, I, w- I was aware that shots had been fired mm-hmm. in March. Mm-hmm. Um, others probably wouldn't have been aware. Um, you don't want to alarm people, but at the same time, safety has to come first. Um, and if, if this individual, as we believe, uh, was known to the Gardaí, was a known target the Gardaí, there's been mm. attempts already made. Yeah. Sometimes I think we almost sterilise these people you know, that they're, they're known to the Gardaí they're a known criminal there's a family, there are neighbours mm. there are friends, mm. there are children, all in those estates We, um, we heard one of the women uh, speaking to Marie earlier in Betty's Town say that uh, there was a strong Garda presence in the area recently uh, uh, perhaps uh, the Gardaí uh, were expecting something to happen well, I, I, I wasn't aware that they, that they were expecting something to happen, you know, immediately. Um, certainly, you know, following the shooting in Clarahead, you couldn't get in and out of Drogheda, you know, between Eastmead and Drogheda without passing a checkpoint. So I, I do commend them for, for, for the extra presence. But, you know, questions, there are questions there mm. in relation to this particular incident. This particular incident was known, was known to be a target. Uh, there was already had been a tent. I want to know how. How did somebody do this and still walk away? And, still get away. And I mean, Stephen, the question my child mm, had this morning, Mum, was the man caught? Mm. Uh, am I safe to go to school? Will he be in our estate? 
you know what I mean? How, how do you answer those questions? How can I answer those questions mm. from my friends and my well, neighbours here? We've been asking similar gar- questions at the Gardaí for two and a half years, uh, and if I can conclude with Stephen Breen, this was not at all unexpected. Uh, it's been expected. People have been waiting for it to happen since August last, when Keith Brannigan was killed. Yeah, it's it's always there. I mean, the targeting is ongoing. It shows no sign of ending anytime soon. Uh, both factions in this criminal feud are still involved in very serious criminality. And the, the danger is always there. We've had arson attacks on homeless. We've had pipe bombings, people being attacked on the street, and, and two murders now. So it shows no t- sign of ending anytime soon. And looks as if it will escalate even further. And the fear now is that there could be a revenge attack in relation to this shooting. Mm. No doubt. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, both of you, for joining us here on uh, the programme. Stephen Breen is crime editor with uh, The Irish Sun and Sharon Tolan lives in Bettystown and is a uh, local Fine Gael councillor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Not surprising, really, Michael, that there's been a lot of reaction already to this fatal shooting in Bettystown. Mark got in touch to say that it was only a matter of time he felt before we saw another fatal shooting as part of this feud. He feels that these gangs are merely biding their time to take each other out and that there's little or nothing can be done to stop them. Yeah, well, I don't blame him for feeling that way. Fran says on the issue of gang crime, Mm. he feels that we should bring back capital punishment. Uh, Marion Navin says the more publicity you give to these gangs, the more they will react. She feels that they are laughing at the authorities and she wonders if the Guardian are really on top of this at all because people are living in fear. Mm. And there was certainly that sense of fear this morning, Michael, in, in Betty's town amongst yeah. those that I spoke to and a lot of people who spoke to me mm. uh, that didn't want to go on air. Mm. Uh, just really in disbelief and, and as, Sha- as Councillor Sharon Tolan touched on the children a lot of people were going to school this morning mm. a lot of parents bringing their children to school and the kids were scared Yeah, you know that this mm. had happened in their area Well when these things come to your doorstep uh, it's all the more realistic and all the more frightening and uh, I think uh, at this stage anybody in the LMFM area is beginning to realise that it's never far from our homes it's a feud that has uh, gone across all of of the boundaries and borders uh, that we would normally think of where you might think there's a problem in one town or another. This one uh, is uh, one that comes home to roost, it would seem, or has come home to roost for a, a lot of people listening to us uh, this morning. That's right. Anne says that she's shocked and saddened to hear of another death connected to the feud and wonders, Michael, when we will see an end to it mm. and where it will all end. She says it's been going on for quite some time now. Well, it's going on for years, but at least two and a half years uh, since Owen Maguire was shot at the halting site on uh, the cement road. Uh, the uh, man was shot six times right. uh, uh, by uh, somebody at that stage. Uh, and that... Uh, is certainly uh, 
the beginning, but many would argue that it's been going on long before that uh, and uh, that uh, the problem has just been ignored. People have turned a blind eye to it. uh, And uh, the problem is one that exists in almost every town and village in the country where you've got gangs who are running drugs, uh, but uh, they're under the radar. And what's happened in Drogheda is that you've got two gangs and one is battling with the other for territory and wants dominance. Uh, And as a result, uh, they've started shooting each other and stabbing each other and beating eating each other and bombing each other and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But that's only because they're fighting with each other. But it's the underlying problem that goes unignored Mm. or that goes ignored. And if you don't address this problem, this is the kind of thing that you can expect. Well, Martina phoned in and Martina says, Michael, is there anywhere safe in this area anymore? You used to associate this sort of thing with big cities like Dublin. But now when you see small villages like Clotterhead and Mm. now Betty's Town being brought into this, you just wonder where is safe anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another listener in touch to say that uh, in relation to the gang cri- the gang crime and this this ongoing feud that there always seems to be a spike in activity when something happens uh, this in relation to guard activity yeah. but then after a while it appears to die down and why is this uh, there seems to be some suggestion that uh, the, the, the guardie knew that this person may have been under threat and surely if that's the case that the, he should have been monitored 24-7. Okay, a fire brigade reaction, putting out the fires rather than preventing the fires as uh, the case may be. Hold uh, that thought for a moment. Uh, we'll come back to some more of those comments in a minute, Marie, if you bear with us. Uh, but we're going to go to uh, the phones uh, to hear how on post uh, is getting homeless people mobile through what they call the shared network. And Anna McHugh, Head of Communications with on post is on the line. And a very good morning, Anna, and thanks uh, for joining so a lot of homeless people. A lot of homeless people. You say have mobile phones, uh, but uh, they can't uh, afford the data. Yeah, that's very true. Um, we've been working very closely with the homeless charities um, over the past year or so. Firstly, on Address Point, which we launched in April, which provides an address for people who are homeless or living in temporary accommodation right across the country. A very simple service, um, which enables them to pick up the post at a post office of their choice uh, using an address that doesn't say post office, but gives them a regular looking address that they can use to keep in touch uh, to find jobs, to find accommodation, to keep in touch with children's schools and medical appointments. So that's been going really well, um, including right across County Mm -hmm. Louth as well, um, because we've been working it through the various uh, charities and homeless agencies. So we sat down then and said, well, what else can we do? And we were aware that increasingly in all our lives, it's about being digitally connected through our phones. It's our first port of call now for, for almost everything. And as you said, almost all homeless people do have phones, but the cost of, of, of data is, is an issue for them. So again, working with the charities, we came up with the shared network and we've kick-started it with 18,000 gigabytes of, of data, um, which is going to be distributed on SIM cards through the main homeless charities um, to encourage people, particularly in the lead up to Christmas, and help them, um, you know, get through Christmas, stay connected with friends and family, or indeed, you know, all the various aspects of life that the rest of us take for granted. Uh, And we're encouraging everybody to get involved in this. Uh, And these SIM cards will be given to people through the charities, is it? 
right. They will they will uh, distribute them uh, to those who you know who can most benefit from them. Whether that's families living in in temporary hubs or hotel rooms, or you know people who are sleeping on the streets, they will be distributing them and um, and helping people get organised with them. And everybody can help. Um, both on post mobile customers. We're a small mobile company, but so we're very proud to be taking a lead in this. But existing customers can help um, by by you know donating data um, all of, of your listeners there can help on postmobile.ie they can go online and make a donation through us which will be converted into data for homeless people over the coming months and throughout 2020 or indeed if you're thinking about buying mobile phones for Christmas presents for every new mobile phone and new customer that we sign up we will donate another gig of data so there's lots of ways that people can support this and keep it going throughout 2020 What's been really important with the dress point is that it's it's a continuous service and people can be sure of it. So if they start using a new address, um, they know that it's there for them. Nothing is going to change. And similarly with this, mm. that continuity of connection is very important for people of all ages. And in, interestingly, some of the homeless charities have spoken about, you know, teenagers and young adults as well. The importance for them, whether they're in school or trying to move ahead with their lives, of being in touch with their peers, being able to do the things and see the things and be part of those social media networks mm-hmm. that mean so much to them um, so that their life is as regular and normal as possible. So we encourage everyone to get involved. It's called the Shared Network on postmobile.ie and, and it's a way that another little small piece we can all do um, just to make a little difference to people's you know lives that are so difficult, particularly in these darker winter days. Very good. We'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Anna McHugh, Head of Communications with On Post. Now let's go back uh, to the phones and uh, some more of uh, the yes, comments you Michael, have there, Marie. Uh, just going back to the gang crime mm. uh, responses, Jack thinks that there should be a bigger emphasis on tackling, as he puts it, the scourge of drugs in our society. He says there wouldn't be gangs without ordinary people buying drugs mm. and that there needs to be a huge all-round effort nationwide yeah. to actually tackle the problem. He feels we cannot afford to keep turning a blind eye to this problem. When you look at the amount of drink drivers arrested mm-hmm. in comparison to drug drivers, yeah. should there be much more of a clampdown? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, and I don't know how much you clamp down or what a, a effect it'll have, uh, no matter how much you clamp down. Uh, they used to say the same thing about alcohol. Mm. Uh, and it didn't have any effect. It just led to more gangs and more killings and so on. Uh, and uh, people uh, will remember that from American history in particular. Uh, and what they did was legalise it or allowed it to be uh, legalised again, as uh, the case may be. And uh, perhaps uh, if uh, you didn't have illegal drugs, if it wasn't illegal, you wouldn't have the gangs. You know, I mean, I suppose there's many ways of looking at this. Jim from Navin got in touch in relation to uh, your discussion on the attacks on the bus and rail workers over Halloween. And Jim feels that those responsible, the perpetrators, are not afraid of anyone because there are no hard repercussions for their actions. They should be rounded up and made to do community work and their parents should face fines as punishment Mm -hmm. for what their children have done. Why can't the guard or reserves be deployed on public transport as an extra security measure for transport workers? We need to recruit a lot more of them, says Jim. Yeah, well, maybe they don't uh, care. Maybe they are fearless because they're stoned off their heads. 
Can I just get to one more comment before we finish from Pat and Navin? And it's to do with the flooding yesterday, Michael, mm. on the roads. Yeah. Pat just wanted to say that he was driving around a number of roads uh, on the periphery of Navin in County Meath and says that the flooding was absolutely terrible and fears that there is going to be a serious crash because of flooding because we do get a lot of rain in this country, let's face it, says Pat. And he says he wants to highlight it on the programme because he thinks that councils should look at the situation, mm. that maybe they should make cut on the gra- cuts on the grass and let water go, you know, go off mm. the road and into the ditches. Um, he thinks it's very important that something is done well, to address this. Well, and probably is uh, uh, something that uh, is logical enough in that uh, we live in Ireland and we're always going to have lots of rain. They tell us we'll have more because of global mm. warming and all of that. Uh, but I, I suppose an Ireland without rain would be like... It wouldn't Ar- be Ireland. <laughs> well, be, I was going to say it'd be like <laughs> a, an Ireland without Gabo. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we leave there. Thank you indeed uh, for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, aim to leader and Mead West TD, Peter Tobin, is criticising Navin Shopping Centre and a policy uh, that uh, the town centre car park has put in place which he says has ended automatic free parking for people with disabilities. He joins us now together with uh, the centre manager Pat Milani and good morning to both of you and thanks uh, for joining us. Peter Dobin, uh, what's the problem here? Um, so <clears throat> many people in this country uh, apply for a disabled uh, parking uh, card. It costs about 35 euros a year and it allows them to park uh, for free in local authorities. Uh, car parks and um, many um, uh, other private car parks around the country also allowed for the same facility uh, to people with disabilities uh, as well. And indeed, for years, Navin Shopping Centre was one of those excellent locations in which people with disabilities uh, could get free uh, car parking uh, in their car park. Uh, and unfortunately, there's been a change of policy within the the parking management company that actually is in charge of the car park itself. And um, as we know, the Navin Shopping Centre is owned by an investment fund. And I understand, I, I contacted uh, the parking facility and they told me that they were given direction by that investment fund to change the long practice of free parking for people with disabilities. And the reason that was there was because of many people with disabilities simply didn't have a choice in whether they could park in the local authority space elsewhere in the town because they maybe didn't have the mobility to be able to park there and then make their way to the shopping centre. Um, so I believe this is a retrograde step um, by the uh, parking management company. And uh, I've, I've contacted them and I've asked mm. them to reverse the decision and to allow people with disabilities uh, to continue the, the uh, facility that they had there previously. Now, I do understand that the free car parking is still available for people who are wheelchair users, and that hasn't been changed, and that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, I, once... If you give something to people and they rely on it as part of their daily lives and then it's taken away, it's obviously going to lead to annoyance and frustration amongst those people. And that's why we would request uh, that the uh, parking management company reverses its decision. Okay, let me go to Pat Milani, who's uh, the manager at uh, the town centre. Good morning, Pat, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, That makes you sound ruthless, uh, indeed callous. Uh, Is that the case? I, I certainly hope not. Uh, I think, first of all, I should um, just clarify what Pat was saying there. Indeed, on-street parking in, for wheelchair users and for 
people with blue passes, and, and indeed there are a huge variety of people with blue passes, um, uh, is free of charge. However, there are a number of... Uh, I'm not aware of any um, multi-storey car parks or any shopping centre car parks that give free parking either to wheelchair users or any other people with, with blue passes. Now, I'm, I stand to be corrected on that, mm. but we did check with about seven or eight uh, other uh, car park operators to see was that the case, and we couldn't find any. Um, but notwithstanding that, the, the background to this has been that we've had an appalling circumstance for a long years here in that we have one car park, the green car park, which has been uncomfortably inaccessible for people in wheelchairs. So in other words, if they wanted to get from the car park into the shopping centre, they had to direct themselves back onto the street, come up along Kennedy Road and come back into the shopping centre. And it was totally unacceptable. Or alternatively, if they could press the help button mm. and we could get them into a service lift. So what's happened, I've been campaigning for years with both the previous number of owners and uh, asset managers and with the new owners I've campaigned on asking to convert all of the service left into a um, wheelchair use for, uh, access lift. To access this lift you need a special pass or a fob mm. and what we've done is we've done away with all of the old passes, we've created a new fob which will allow people access both to the car park and to the lift. So you don't need a pass, you need a fob? Well, it's, it's like a swipe card. If you yeah, like. but uh, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no question uh, because you've been given the fob because uh, you have a, a wheelchair and that's been verified, in other words. That's right, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And this will get you into the car park for free, out of the car park for free, and into and out of this lift. Now, there are a number of people with disabilities, and I suppose it'd be fair to say that this will all be dealt with on an individual basis. There are a number of people with with, um, with blue pass um, and we have found a considerable amount of misuse over the years, and that's what maybe the families are using it mm-hmm. or using it on a day when the, when the, the incapacitated person is not in the car. And that's neither fair to the shopping centre or not fair to the other customers who have to pay for the parking on and every day. I want to emphasise here, wheelchair drivers are free, and they should be free because it's very inaccessible for them to get to pay stations and everything else. And we want to offer that for free to our uh, wheelchair users. And you will look at this on an individual basis uh, as well. If somebody has... We'll be be interviewed individually. And if somebody Uh, has a mobility issue, you'll make it possible for them to have access to the lift. You'll give them a fob. uh, Absolutely. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. They will have access to the lift. And Um, and and the car park then as a result. And the car park. Well, what we're saying is that there is a charge for the pass, um, but not for wheelchair users. It's free... Uh, for the pass, and free for the fob, if you like, to, to get into this lift, there will be a charge for this other lift, um, this uh, other pass, if you like, the the, um, the accessible pass, and it's 80 or tw- it's 150 a week for unlimited access to the shopping centre. Mm. OK, what do you make of that, Pat or Toby? Well, first of all, I, I have no problem with Pat, uh, personally. Pat does a, a great job in the shopping centre, indeed, and in, in his other work in, in the town as well. And this decision was clearly made at the investment company level, which which now owns... Uh, well, he said centre. he's lobbied for it for years. Uh, do you <clears> accept <throat> that it'll be a better situation for people who use wheelchairs? Well, you know, I would welcome absolutely um, uh, if there is new facilities, such as new lift uh, but that's transport. What that's in, what he's just said there is. In, do you in, accept in, that absolutely. that will be better for people who use wheelchairs? I think that's a, that, that's a good thing uh, mm-hmm. that that's happened. And indeed, people with wheelchairs are not being affected by this change. And, and that's also a good thing as well. But Well, no, that they are side. being affected by the change for the better, are they not? That's the point. Well, there's a serious side to this. And this is that people maybe who are visually impaired, people with respiratory issues, uh, people with a whole host of disabilities. Yes, and we, we can talk about that in a moment. But to do that first is to ignore 
the point that I'm putting to you, which is that people with wheelchairs have been affected positively by this change. No, I, I welcome any steps that have been made, including this one that you, you've mentioned, uh, which help people with uh, who are wheelchair users have more access and more mobility within the shopping centre. That's without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, th- this is not a, a case where we're looking to to, to fight the investment company uh, that owns uh, the shopping centre. Mm. This is just a case simply where people who have been given a facility in the shopping centre for, for years, if not decades, um, that, that they're having that taken away from them. And, you know, I, I do understand that Pat has stated that individuals, if they contact the uh, parking management company, that they will be dealt with on a, an individual basis and the particular case will be considered on that basis. But the truth of the matter is, you know, first of all, not everybody is going to do that. And secondly, it, 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 it means... Sorry, sorry Pat, just... Just to cut across that pattern, they have to contact the car park office because there's no, this you um, park or uh, fob, we call it called swipe card, you've got to get one of them. So you've got to have a um, fill out an application. I understand, under the new system, Ed, that, yeah. that is the case. But all, all applicants will have, to, will have to do that anyway. Yes, but, but the point of the matter is, there are people who currently uh, have free access, well, before Monday, I should say, had free access to the, to the, the, the supermarket. They had that for years. It was a wonderful thing. It was replicating the practice in the, in the local authority parking spaces on the streets. The logic of that was very clear. These are people who, who, are, who have a, a parking card, and a parking card is given to people with real disabilities. Or their family. Do you accept and, that uh, the abuse of the system on the public street was being replicated in the car park? Well, to be honest, the most of the abuse I see in the public uh, uh, streets is actually people with no disabilities and no parking card parking in uh, bays, parking... But do you accept that people were coming in with somebody else's pass into the town centre and uh, using spaces for free? Well, first of all, I have no evidence of, the, of that whatsoever. And if, if, okay, if well, let's go back case, to Pat, because that's what you said but, was but, happening. But, I think, Pat. Say, if it well, is well, the case well, that, is, that that happens, well, then logic would dictate that some kind of a, a, a mechanism would be used whereby people uh, would be would have to uh, show that they're not abusing the system. Okay, well, let's go back take to Pat, because, because, because what I'm hearing from Pat Milani is that that's what's at the root of this. Is that right, Pat? Yeah, absolutely. Two things. Number one, the introduction of a new lift, which requires uh, a special pass to get access to that, that lift. And number two, there was misuse and abuse of the, the Blue Pass um, uh, disability parking pass. And there was in the past. And what we're doing is we're rectifying. And in fact, originally, going way, way back, because I was here at the beginning of the paid parking and the introduction of paid parking, it was always intended that wheelchair users would be free um, and that was it. But if you write, that was in the day when a wheelchair pass was, at uh, the blue, if you like, the blue pass was what, was what it was. It was for people in wheelchairs mm. and people with severe mobility issues. It's now a European and pass. Uh, and it's now a European pass. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a commercial, it's, it's as much a commercial pass, um, obviously to assist, um, but I suppose it has loosened itself considerably over the years. And, and uh, in fairness, now and like you know, all of us are, are, are adults here. Car parks are income generation locations. Absolutely, they're there to facilitate people who need to gain access to shopping centres and other and other elements. But profits are made from car parks. And, Pather, you know, Pather, the potential for profit of what we're doing with this pass is so minuscule it's irrelevant. And I certainly will be in a position that should there be 
any concern about that. To speak to the owner. If that was if, if that was the case, logic would dictate then. Let's give the revenue. If, if there's no cost, uh, in actual fact, of the current scheme to the uh, to the shopping centre, logic would dictate that the current scheme, which is abroad open, accessible scheme would be continued. And it's just, Pat, I would have received contacts from so many people uh, with disabilities and their families who are, are, I suppose, are fiercely frustrated with regards to this. And I know that the decision is not made at your level, etc. Spell out their circumstance for us, though, if you would. Uh, What type of disability have uh, these people who will now be excluded under this new I know a gentleman who's got a a severe respiratory uh, disability. So in other words, he can walk about maybe 10 yards uh, at a, uh, and then he has to take a, a significant rest, uh, etc. Now, if he was to park on the streets, um, he would obviously uh, be in a situation where he would have to walk further to the shopping centre. Now, he then has indicated to me that he, he is disappointed that an extra step has to be taken now where he has to apply for X, Y, and Z. He has to be, in, in, in many ways, um, a judgment has to be made with regards to his, his disability by somebody that he doesn't know who's employed by a private uh, a car parking management company and then he has to achieve a certain bar to be able to well, well, from go what in Pat, from, and, from uh, what Pat uh, was saying he won't have as far to walk yeah, he'll, he'll be parking in a wheelchair bay he'll get out of his car get into the he'll, to pay, he'll have to pay for it unless he actually passes the criteria set but by how the car how parking how management company how often would he use the shopping centre to be honest I, I reckon like, this guy is probably using the shopping centre at least once a week and um, but so mm. he's already paid for his 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 car parking. But the big uh, walk cars. that he has now out through Kennedy Road uh, and back around and into the car park uh, is something he doesn't have to face into now. Is that not a good thing? But I I don't think you're listening to me. The, but the point of the matter is he had a service that he was quite satisfied with, which was free, and that has changed. It's not free currently unless he's he's actually judged by a private parking management company. Uh, to actually have the disability that the state has already judged him for having, because well, Padre, I have Padre, I've said to you, uh, we are very much human beings on this this shopping centre, and you know that well. You've been here with us campaigning. Uh, we, we are very open uh, individuals. We're not going to be making harsh or crass or callous judgments. We're not in this for money. We're in this to regulate access to a lift and to regulate access to the parking to the car parks, giving free parking to people who most need or people are sitting in wheelchairs uh, and arriving at a shopping centre cannot reach our pay stations. And we've now provided independent access for those individuals, which the Irish Wheelchair Association Napping Branch campaigned with me for years to get. And thankfully with our new owners. I think, I think unfortunately, we're, we're conflating two separate things. One thing which is a plus, one thing which is a development that has to be welcomed 100%. So I commend you, Pat, and, and the shopping centre for, for, for the, the access increase that you've created. But there is another element here. And in my conversations with the parking management company, it was very clear that uh, income was an element of this. And there was a fear that income was being lost uh, because, and, and the point was that uh, the staff couldn't be expected to check to see if the actual occupants of the car were themselves the individuals who were owners of the particular uh, pass. And my, my, my answer to the uh, car parking management company was it would be better to uh, to produce a mechanism to check that rather than penalise everybody that's uh, currently using the service. And, you know, it's not just myself. I'm, I'm simply an elected representative giving representation to the dozens and dozens of people who have contacted me with showing disappointment. And people have said to me that, you know, we, they need to to, you know, uh, boycott.
boycott the shopping centres, they need to do this, that, and the other. I said, no, it's it's not the fault of the shop owners. It's not the fault of the people who are renting units there. It's not even the, the fault of okay. the management like mm-hmm. yourself who's okay. doing a, a wonderful job there. I, I, I'm over time. I, I, I just want to conclude. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt uh, Patrick Tobin made uh, a good case uh, for that man uh, with respiratory problems. Uh, and uh, if I heard you right, Pat, uh, I, I think you're saying uh, that you're, you're willing to hear individual cases if people want to we, make them. We try. are going to work mm-hmm. with all of our customers with or without disabilities to give the best possible service that we can provide we won't be discriminating in any way whatsoever and if there are individual cases that go outside the parameters that we've created we'll be supporting those Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you both indeed for joining us here this morning. Pat Milani is the centre manager with Navintown Centre, also with us Mead West TD, Patrick Tobin, who's uh, the leader and founder of the Ain2 Party. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you probably know, reports uh, this week in uh, the Sunday World indicate uh, that officials uh, from uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs have uh, travelled to, to the Turkish-Syrian border along with members of uh, the Defence Forces, uh, the elite wing known as the Army Rangers. The objective is to bring Lisa Smith and her two-year-old daughter back to Ireland. Rory O'Murku is a Sinn Féin councillor in Dundalk and he's on uh, the line and uh, very good morning to you Rory and thanks uh, for joining us. Well, what are people saying locally about this? Well it's like I've said to you previously uh, people have different views in relation to it. Um, our view my own view is you're dealing with Lisa Smith but also with her daughter and the Irish citizens the reality is the government have made a decision to take her home um, there are some people who are unhappy about this. But but I've also had cases of people who had said initially that they had major difficulties and she made her almost the, you've made your bed, you made lioness. But then they've come round to the decision that they would, and, and it's, it's difficult because you're almost commenting on somebody's mental mm. health, but that she would have had issues or they at least believe she had issues. And... There's a child that's in danger, so everything should be done to take them home. And then, if there's a case that has to be dealt with as regards the law, that's down to the guards. If there are security issues, that's down to the guards and military intelligence. And I certainly don't have any information that you know relates to that, so therefore I can't make a decision in relation to it. But the reality is the government have decided to take her home. Uh, and uh, the little girl, Rakaya, uh, what do you think should happen with her when they arrive back on Irish soil, if uh, that transpires uh, to be the case? Because undoubtedly Lisa Smith will be taken away somewhere and uh, somebody will have a, a quiet conversation with her. Uh, but uh, the child uh, will then uh, be left motherless. Uh, now she has grandparents in Dundalk. What do you think should happen? I was going to say she has fa- she has family here. We don't know exactly what's going to happen when Lisa Smith comes here. There are facilities in relation to mothers who are even incarcerated. Um, You were speaking to Declan Power in relation to this yesterday. So I I think they will both be in a better and a safer place here. Mm. So that's probably beneficial to everybody. But the big story, I suppose, is Simon Coveney saying they've decided to take her home that it's not very helpful, obviously, discussions in relation to operation, operational details. I have spoken to a member of the family who said the same, that they will not be making any comments because at the end of the day, the Department of Foreign Affairs have said it's not helpful and they're going to keep to that. 
What else have the family been saying to you? Oh, well, no. that's for them. They can have their discussions with the media at a point in time that fits them. I suppose it's probably very similar to um, what Declan Power said in relation to, you know, the operations of this evacuation operation. It will be safe and it will be the time to speak about it when it's over. And I suppose the family and whoever else can make whatever commentary they want to um, at a time and place when something has happened. They must be very concerned, though. Uh, and, uh... Um, obviously very concerned, but they now believe her to be uh, in a safer place. I, I suppose you did have the uncertainty that happened from what, whatever happened, whether it was an escape um, from the detention camp. Mm. Um, now she seems to be in a situation, um, it seems a safe house, um, under control of Turkish militia, on the Syrian-Turkish border, um, but it seems to be a lot safer than the situation she's probably been in for the last year, number of years. Uh, do they believe Lisa can come back and uh, resume some sort of uh, normal life uh, in Dundalk or elsewhere? Well, I haven't had that discussion, and, and even if I had, it wouldn't be my place to say it. Um, as I say, the, where I am in relation to this is the Irish government have made their decision. They're going to take her home. Um, they're going to be au fait and they're going to find the best way to do that. And then when she's here, um, security issues or whether there's any any uh, criminal issues that have to be dealt with, that's up to the guards and the judicial system. Uh, they'd be anxious to meet Rakaia. Oh, most certainly. Um, most certainly, sure. Who wouldn't be anxious to meet their, their grandkid? You know, obviously, this is a particularly fraught and dangerous, complicated situation. Mm. But, yeah, no, most definitely. And as safe as they believe Lisa and um, her daughter to be at the moment, they will feel, I imagine, a lot better when she's on Irish soil, soil whatever the situation pertains, as they say, as regards um, criminal proceedings, etc. And... Uh, Declan Power, uh, the security analyst uh, who you mentioned uh, a moment ago, had said to us previously uh, that he believed uh, that Lisa Smith would be better in prison if she was to return to Ireland for her own safety, uh, such as uh, the level of danger and uh, the threats uh, against her as a result of how people feel about her going to Syria and joining ISIS, uh, becoming known as what is uh, an ISIS bride and uh, the fear that people have about their security and the security of the state uh, if she is to return to this country. But if that is correct, uh, well, then uh, it would leave uh, the little girl in great danger if she's to stay with her, if she's not to be imprisoned. Well, these are a a lot of hypotheticals. I suppose the big story is Lisa Smith has a lot to prove. There is nobody who can stand over what decisions she made in going out there never mind anything else that may have happened. Um, But again, the guards and whoever else will make the best determination and probably tell whoever they need to tell as regards security, whether that's for the regular public or for herself. Mm. Um, And we just... I'm back to this from literally from a humanitarian point of view Mm -hmm. of there's a two-year-old child Mm. who's in a very bad dangerous situation. There's lots of two-year-old child 
children. Yeah, I know, except you know, and this is the reality of the situation. This is the humanitarian aspect of it, because of course there is Lisa Smith and her daughter, and uh, they are very real people, and there is very good reason to be very concerned about both of those people. But other people are very concerned about all of the other two-year-olds, indeed, all of the other people in Dundalk and elsewhere across this country, because uh, if Lisa Smith comes back to Ireland and says, well. I didn't do anything. Uh, there's no way uh, of proving that she did, if she did, uh, and uh, there's no way uh, of holding her in detention, is there? Well, see, I don't know the ins and outs of any information that the guards or whoever else has. I imagine, because they're talking about she would be screened when she comes back here, I imagine she has already been screened by intelligence services um, while out there. I'm assuming the CIA mm. have had conversations with her. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of that, and again, this is me only guessing, but I would imagine that that is the case for anybody like herself who would be travelling back to the West. But you can't detain somebody in this country. There is nothing uh, in Irish law which allows you to detain somebody unless they've committed a a crime. Uh, Unless there's evidence of a crime, you're innocent until proven guilty. I, I accept that, but I don't know what information is out there in relation to this. But it's not for me or you or anybody else on the streets of Dundalk or anyone else to decide that. It's down to the Garda Shea And I accept people are worried, but the guards and military intelligence and whoever else will make the best determination in relation to what needs to be done. But it is down to the people of Dundalk to some degree, is it not, in that they're saying, uh, are you going to bring somebody back here without any assurance or guarantee that uh, we will not be in danger as a result of that decision? First of all, I'm not bringing anybody back. I don't no, have no, no, that the, power the, and capacity. The Irish government have made a decision yes, no, to I bring her back. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. and there's very little else that they can do in mm. this situation. Beyond that, as I say, as regards criminal proceedings or security issues, that is down to the Gardaí and military intelligence. Mm. But I, I'm just putting forward what I believe is what people are saying and what I, I'm sure you're hearing from people. I have heard anger. I've heard a lot of people who were very angry. And like I said, I've also heard people who have probably changed their mind in relation to this. But Lisa Smith made, at very best, dreadful decisions and went out and hitched her tent to a dreadful outfit that she couldn't stand over in any way, shape or form. And she will have to make up for that. But as regards security, intelligence, that is down to the Gardaí. Okay, Rory, thanks uh, for joining us as always in the programme. That's uh, Sinn Féin councillor in Dundalk, Rory O'Murku. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As always, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Caroline Quinn joins us from Castle Bellingham Station for the report this week and our programme has been dominated, obviously, by the latest gangland killing in Bettystown last night and the Garda now wish to appeal to anybody who may have information on this latest incident. Yeah, uh, a 39-year-old man has died following a shooting in Bettystown overnight. The victim was shot outside his home in the Castle Martin estate at around 20 to midnight. He was taken to Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda where he died shortly before 1am. Gardaí and firefighters attended a small van on fire in the East Ham Road area of Bettystown shortly after the shooting. Um, it's possible it's connected to the murder. 
Uh, both scenes are being preserved for a technical examination and Gardy are appealing for witnesses to contact the incident room at Ashburn Garda Station, the Garda Confidential Line or any Garda Station and we're particularly anxious to hear from any road users with dash cam footage who were in the area at the time of the shooting. Okay, and we'll give the confidential number uh, before we finish up today if people want to give information to the Gardaí on a confidential basis. But we'll move on from that for the moment uh, to another serious incident. And uh, this involved a person being knocked down last Friday. Yeah, on Friday, a pedestrian in his 70s died after being struck by a bus on the R135 in County Mead. So this was at the Newtown Cross, the ward near Ashburn, and it was shortly after 11pm on Friday night. The pensioner was treated at the scene by emergency services personnel and he was pronounced dead a short time later. And we're appealing for witnesses uh, to contact contact us at uh, Ashburn Garda Station or the Garda Confidential Line. Okay, and we'll conclude with uh, another serious incident, uh, a Garda car which was rammed on Sunday. Yeah, we're appealing for witnesses following an incident of its dangerous driving incident. It occurred at approximately quarter past three on Sunday afternoon at Inwood Estate in Enfield. Um, Gardy were called to the scene following reports of three or four males in a silver Lexus acting suspiciously in the area. The silver Lexus, um, it's similar to a vehicle currently uh, being sought by Gardy in connection with other suspicious activities. It reversed and hit a parked car and then before colliding with the Garda patrol car. Uh, the car then mounted the footpath and took off at speed. Um, the back bumper is now missing from the silver Lexus. And we're appealing for any persons who may have seen any suspicious activity on Sunday between three and four in the M- M- three and four in the afternoon in Enfield area to contact Gardy. Um, you can contact uh, Trim Gardy or the Garda Confidential Line or any Garda station. Okay, and uh, that number for the Confidential Line is one eight hundred triple six triple one. Garda Caroline Quinn, thank you for thank joining you. us from Castle Bellingham Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, let's go back uh, to some more of your thoughts and to the calls that have been coming to us. What have you got for us there, Marie? Michael Shane was in touch in relation to the gangland feud and this latest shooting and he says that he's fi- he finds it hard to have sympathy for anybody who is involved in the drug business. He says it's not a secret that people get killed when they are caught up in the drug game and he says these people are willing to ruin their lives and they're willing to ruin other people's lives mm. and he finds it hard to have sympathy for them. Uh, another listener, Kevin and Navin, feels that the Gardaí need to do what they did in Limerick. They need to sit on those that they know are involved in this, follow them everywhere so that they won't be able to do anything. Uh, Deborah phoned in and Deborah says that, uh, Michael, there was extra Gardaí brought in to Drogheda to deal with the feud. But now we have it in County Meath and we have a situation where County Meath mm. is now being joined up with another guard division. What about the manpower that's needed throughout Meath? Mm. But this should be looked at also. Yeah, well, it's uh, one of uh, those ongoing confusing issues uh, when it comes uh, to these boundaries. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, the people involved uh, will be worried about Ashburn. Uh, and I'm sure most people looking at what happened in Betty's Town last night will be looking towards Drogheda and the investigations that are taking place in Drogheda and the intelligence that has been garnered in Drogheda but 
it's uh, the station in Ashburn uh, that will be responding uh, and investigating uh, the killing it would seem last night and that's I suppose just part of how these boundaries are set. Anne phoned in and says that she was listening to uh, the clips from the people living in Meath and also you're in Bettystown and also your interview with local councillor Sharon Tolan and it was clear from listening that people are really shell-shocked by what has happened in their community and it's an awful situation that they're now left to try and pick up the pieces. She says that she feels sorry for the family left behind at the end of the day when someone is killed they are a member of a family and that there's loved ones left to try to pick up the pieces. Mm, well, it won't come as any comfort to people in Bettystown, uh, but there's people right across uh, the region who will be able to identify with what they're feeling, that sense of shock and fear that it might happen again, that there might be retaliation. How did it happen? Why uh, did it happen? Uh, why was it not stopped? And uh, were we uh, at risk at all? Uh, it's... Uh, part of an ongoing story and part of uh, what must be close to 80, 90, maybe 100 serious incidents uh, that have occurred as part of uh, this ongoing feud. But that's all we have time for today, okay. Marie. Thanks for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.